Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be back after a couple of weeks of not putting out an episode on this podcast. Uh, Today, I am actually going to be talking about a topic. It's going to be part of a a couple episode series um, focusing on the topic of climate change and more specifically focusing in on how that impacts mental health. I'll get into a little bit more about that in just a second. But the book that I'm going to be referencing in the next few episodes is titled The Future We Choose, Surviving the Climate Crisis, and it is written by Christiana Figueres and Tom Ribbett Karnak. And they were heavily involved in the um, writing of the 2015 Paris Agreement for climate change. So I have really been enjoying the book so far and... My goal here is to obviously, you know, share some information that I'm learning, but also to, you know, reflect on how this stuff is impacting our overall well-being. And the thing I like about this book is that they also have a very hopeful um, approach to it. So sometimes you like hear about climate change and it's very doom and gloom. Um, I appreciate that these authors kind of have practical insights of how some of these things can be turned around. So to get into this discussion, my rationale for choosing this topic actually came, I think it was Christmas Day um, a few days ago, and I actually went to go visit one of my friends um, to drop off um, a dessert uh, for the holidays. And my friend, when they answered the door, they commented that it was Christmas Day in Virginia and I was literally wearing shorts and a hoodie. And the hoodie is more so because I don't like wind. So I'm usually wearing a hoodie um, year round. But my friend's observation of, wow, you're wearing shorts in the middle of winter. And I just made a quick remark. I said, we can thank global warming, right? And it was more so a joke, but then it really hit me that when I was a child, um, I've grown up in Virginia my whole life, and I just remember when I was much younger, winters weren't like they are now. We would get a few big snowstorms every year in the winter, and it was pretty much very cold in the winter time between end of October through February. And, you know, I've been on this earth for 29 and a half years, and I've noticed a huge change just in the time that I've been observing. But winters aren't that cold here in Virginia anymore. And we're getting these spring-like, sometimes like sunny, you know, high 70s, 80 degree days in the middle of what's supposed to be winter. And I'm no weather expert or anything like that, but it concerns me because I believe and know global warming to be a big issue. It's something that I've thought a lot about over the past 
I would say, decade of my life, and it's something that really concerns me, I would say that the biggest catalyst for having this conversation on the podcast is the fact that I'm a parent. My daughter, Maya Jane, she just turned two. And, you know, as a parent, I think your perspective on what goes on in the world changes from when you're just a a single person, you know, without any kids to be responsible for. And, you know, as I think about climate change in the future, I think of, well, what is the world going to be like when, you know, Maya Jane is going to college and in her 20s and, you know, she chooses to get married and has children, like what will their futures look like? And that is also the rationale of these two authors. Um, Both of them are parents. Um, I believe one has like adult children and one has two children under the age of 18. And their concern is it very much mirrors mine in that climate change is a huge issue. Um, It's definitely man-made. And it's not a matter of do you believe this or not. It is, you know, scientifically backed. But I know the people who listen to this podcast, I don't have to convince you. But I want to start off with a quote from the book. You're going to hear a lot of quotes from the book. That's kind of my style. But this one kind of is the the connection point. Uh, it kind of gives validity to the fact that I'm talking about climate change on a podcast about mental health. So, quote, Climate change is the mother of all issues. This crisis both dwarfs and encompasses any other issue we may care about, end quote. The, the author does go on to give specific examples, like, for example, if you're concerned about social justice or if you're uh, concerned about education or, you know, any concern that you can think about, anything that you advocate for, anything that is important to you, climate change is going to impact everything. So I, I like that it the authors phrase this as the mother of all issues, because without our habitat and environment, none of those other things are really going to thrive either. So I'm going to get into some of the things that I've been learning so far, and I hope that they are helpful And as I go through this book, I hope to continue sharing more insights with you. And yeah, we'll see where it goes. So I mentioned that the authors were involved in the Paris Agreement of 2015. For those who aren't familiar, uh, I believe 195 um, nations in the world had adopted this agreement to guide, you know, their economies for the next 40 years. And so this is basically a universal plan to combat climate change. I've noticed that a lot of the, at least in the United States, um, the car companies are making these commitments to being at like net zero emissions by a certain day. And I believe that this is um, driven by the Paris Agreement. But that's, that's the premise of all of this, right? So there's this big meeting between the countries of the world and kind of a collective agreement that we need to do something about climate change. But coming up with a plan, just as in any other issue, it's easier said than done. So here is the next quote. All over the world, millions of young people, inspired by Greta Thunberg, the teenage girl who began a lone protest in front of the Swedish parliament, are engaging in civil disobedience to draw attention to climate change. Students understand the scientific projections 
and are terrified about the diminished quality of life on their horizon. They demand decisive action now. They're helping to raise the level of outrage about the insufficiency of our efforts to address the crisis, and they have been joined by scientists, parents, and teachers. End quote. And so this one kind of uh, piggybacks on my major concern in discussing this topic is the fact that I have a child who will grow up in this world and the environment that we leave her with. And um, the thing that really jumped out at me in that quote, um, and you hear me talk about it a lot on this podcast, it's pretty much the, the foundation of why I do what I do, quality of life. I literally highlighted that on my notebook. And so we think of quality of life. We think of our physical well-being. We think of our emotional. We think of our, you know, social well-being, et cetera. And, you know, as the globe continues to warm and um, we are seeing more and more natural disasters and things like that, and we continue to produce all these greenhouse gases and emissions, all I can do is speak for myself and say that I'm very concerned, not only for what life will be like when I'm in my old age, but what the next generations will have to deal with. And so the next quote here is as follows. We have known about the possibility of climate change since at least the 1930s, and we have been certain since 1960 when geochemist Charles Keeling measured carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere and detected an annual rise. Since then, we have done little to counter climate change, the result being that greenhouse gas emissions, the cause of climate change, are increasing. We continue to pursue economic growth through the unbridled extraction and burning of fossil fuels with a fatal impact on our forests, oceans, rivers, soil, and air. We have failed to manage wisely the very ecosystems that sustain us, end quote. Side note, y'all, um, and I think you've heard this on previous episodes, but my dog is currently sleeping and snoring, so you may hear a little little background noise from him. He hasn't been feeling too well the past couple of days, so just keeping an eye on him. But going back to that quote, I think everything that was in the quote kind of jumps out at me, but the most important part that I want to highlight is the part where it says, we have failed to manage wisely the very ecosystems that sustain us. I think it's easy to take where we live and the the things that we enjoy and the quality of life and the access to resources that we have for granted. A lot of us have kind of come to terms with that in the past few months. I think with like the supply chain delays and things like that, it's not as easy to get stuff as previously. And it's shown that we are the way of life that we know it is very fragile. And so when you think of, okay, we've not been taking good care of basically our environment, the thing that sustains our life, like oxygen and all of that, to my knowledge, you know, Earth is the only habitable place in the universe that humans can survive. And when that is depleted or unlivable, it's obvious that, you know, the Earth will continue to exist, but humanity may not. I mean, we've seen species becoming extinct and or extinct, and we're not invincible to that sort of thing. So I'm trying to keep it light, but I think you're 
hopefully following along of how um, just important that this this issue is. So, quote, despite the increasing frequency and intensity of natural disasters, we still have not connected the dots between the ongoing destruction of our natural habitat and our future ability to ensure our children's safety, to feed ourselves, inhabit coastlines, and uphold the integrity of our homes, end quote. And so that kind of, you know, continues on with what the last quote was talking about of this is important because for our future to be sustainable and to continue to enjoy the things that we have and to continue to exist, right, in relative comfort, we have to take care of our environment. And so um, the thing I highlighted there was natural disasters. You don't have to look too far to see that the frequency of hurricanes and floods and just these like catastrophic things that we see a lot of here in the United States. And a lot of times it's much worse in other countries um, with earthquakes and hurricanes, tsunamis, that sort of stuff. These are things that have rapidly increased in frequency. As I was reading through the beginning parts of this book, it was talking about how you know, it used to be every so many hundreds of years, there would be a natural disaster or something like that. And now, at least in the United States, I know we have hurricane season where it's back to back to back to back, um, you know, um, extreme weather events and stuff like that. And so obviously, it's all correlated. And so the next couple of quotes, I really like because it kind of talks about the two sides, so to speak, the polarizing uh, viewpoints on this, and more so focusing on those who deny climate change. Um, my dog is really snoring right now. So I'll let him rest, but we'll, we'll keep going. So, quote, denying climate change is tantamount to saying that you don't believe in gravity. Science of climate change is not a belief a religion, or a political ideology. It presents facts that are measurable and verifiable. The irresponsibility of not believing in climate change is becoming more apparent with every new catastrophic event. Climate deniers are shamelessly protecting the short-term financial interests of the fossil fuel industry to the detriment of the long-term interests of their own descendants. End quote. As with any major issue. I, you know, there's going to be people who take something very seriously, and there are going to be people who couldn't care less. And the issue of climate change is no different. The part that I highlighted there is that's near and dear to me. And that's people who deny climate change and do nothing to um, decrease the impact of it. A lot of times it is in the interest of, say, the fossil fuel industry or um, the ancillary like uh, industries that support, whether it be, you know, all gasoline uh, based vehicles, or it's not even just like what cars we drive, but how we build our homes, how we, you know, generate energy and stuff like that. There's a lot of infrastructure in place that makes it to where it's easier to stick with the status quo. And it costs money to make changes. But I think the main thing here is that the part where it says the detriment of the long term interests of our own descendants. 
that's the part that means the most to me as a parent. And I'm, you know, being very honest with y'all that this, while I have always, you know, been concerned about climate change and stuff like that since a young age when I became aware of it, it didn't present urgency to me until I was a parent. So there's some food for thought there. And so next, I'm going to go into kind of the mental health aspects of this. Quote, people feel real grief over the unspeakable loss of ecosystems and biodiversity, over how much more we are about to lose, including the future of human life as we know it. Those who are enveloped by this grief may have lost all faith in our collective capacity to challenge the course of human history, end quote. And so I share this quote because it's kind of the the other side of the um, spectrum. So you've got your people who flat out, you know, deny climate change, say that it's not real, that they don't believe in it. Case in point, uh, Donald Trump. But then there's the other side that, you know, people who care so much that they have basically given up on any hope because it's like, well, it's so bad, it's never going to get better to the point where you give up, right? And any time that you're on a spectrum of uh, a polarizing issue, if you're to the extreme, you've got lots of blind spots. So I share that to show like some of the downsides of going too far extreme and you're thinking either way, whether, you know, denying climate change or looking so much into the, the doom and gloom that you don't come up with practical solutions or have the energy left to combat it. So in my research for this topic, I actually looked at several books and I couldn't really find too many reputable books that specifically talked about mental health and climate change. It's a big part of why I'm, you know, doing this podcast series is to kind of make those connections. This book is more about what climate change is and what are some of the short and long-term goals that as a society as a whole, we need to start tackling in order to reverse and hopefully improve the state of our ecosystem. But the term that kept popping up in my research is known as eco-anxiety. So in the past few quotes that I've shared and just in my rationale for doing this, I said, I lived with a sense of fear and anxiety for my daughter because the future is uncertain. And most people have dealt with some form of anxiety throughout their life or stress, right? So eco-anxiety is basically the fear and concern of what will happen due to the deterioration of our environment. Um, And so I have a quote to kind of that kind of responds to this dilemma. So we talked about like people who um, are unaffected because they deny that climate change is even a thing, kind of the ignorance is bliss approach. And then you've got the other side of the spectrum where people believe that it's so far gone that there's no hope. And so this quote kind of comes with a happy medium and kind of responds to that. So here we go. Quote, but we cannot allow it to erode our capacity to courageously mobilize for transformation. Anger that sinks into despair is powerless to make a change. 
anger that evolves into conviction is unstoppable, end quote. And so as you're listening to this, obviously, I've shared some, you know, sobering information that I've gained from this book so far. The goal of my podcast is not to bum you out. So of course, I'm going to end off with something a little bit more hopeful. So here's something um, that I want you to reflect on. Quote, by addressing the causes of climate change now, we can at once minimize risks and emerge stronger. Today, we have the unique chance to create a future where things not only stabilize, but actually get better. We can have more efficient and cheaper transportation, resulting in less traffic. We can have cleaner air supporting better health and enhancing the enjoyment of city life. We can practice smarter use of natural resources, resulting in less pollution of land and water. Achieving the mindset needed to attain this improved environment would signal a maturation of humanity, end quote. And if I didn't already, um, you know, lay the groundwork for the sense of urgency behind this issue, I believe this next quote is definitely going to drive that home. Kind of listen closely to this one and reflect on it. So, quote, two dates should now be seared into everyone's mind, 2030 and 2050. By 2050, at the latest, and ideally by 2040, we must have stopped emitting more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere than Earth can naturally absorb through its ecosystems, a balance known as net zero emissions or carbon neutrality. In order to get to this scientifically established goal, our global greenhouse emissions must be clearly on the decline by the early 2020s and reduced by at least 50% by 2030. The goal of halving global emissions by 2030 represents the absolute minimum we must achieve if we are to have at least a 50% chance of safeguarding humanity from the worst impacts. We're in the critical decade. It is no exaggeration to say that what we do regarding emissions reductions between now and 2030 will determine the quality of human life on this planet for hundreds of years to come, if not more. If we do not half our emissions by 2030, we are highly unlikely to be able to half emissions every decade until we reach net zero by 2050. That is our final limit, and we cannot exceed it. End quote. So I paused there just to kind of let that sink in. I know when I was going through this part of the book, I definitely had to go back a couple of times and really look at those numbers. And I think the most concerning part is that we have to basically drastically show some decline by the early 2020s. This book was released in 2020, and we're about to go into 2022. And as of now, it's not looking too good. There's definitely been some major pushes to work towards net zero, but it definitely needs to be increased and taken way more seriously than we're currently taking it. So 
So with that being said, I'm going to leave you with those crucial dates in mind. As I continue to read this book, I am going to, you know, come back and do more episodes and kind of continue this this conversation. But as a sign off, I want you to think about, you know, between now and the next episode, I want you to think about how climate change can impact you and the ones that you love physically, emotionally, socially, and holistically. And, you know, these big changes and these big shifts all start on the individual level. Um, Obviously, we need to have, you know, governmental and, um, you know, widespread initiatives to make this a reality. But I think there are things that we can do in our day-to-day lives that can reduce the impact of the emissions that we're having on this planet that we call home. So um, stay, stay tuned for subsequent episodes of this topic. I have linked the reference book in this episode show notes, so be sure to check that out. Also using the link from the show notes, it gives a little kickback to this podcast at no additional charge to you. But until the next time, thank you so much for listening, and I am wishing you a happy new year. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today.